You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 17. Uh, We're going to look at the first 15 verses. Acts 17 is quite a remarkable passage. We're going to see some patterns again as the gospel unfolds. The patterns of preaching, people coming to genuine faith, persecution, and suffering for the sake of the gospel and God's word. But my topic this morning, and it's a um, hopefully an encouraging topic, as Pastor Jason said, people of the book. And so right out of the gate, the application is, we want to be lovers of God's word. Jesus said, man, woman shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Think about the implications of that statement in Matthew chapter 4. God speaks, his word goes forward, and we can live accordingly. That is remarkable. Folks, there's certain people in your life who speak into your life, right? Students, parents, friends, right? Mentors, you know, spouses. But think about the implications that God speaks through his word. And so Luke has challenged us all along to open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts and listen to respond fruitfully. We're going to see two examples, those who declare God's word and those who receive God's word and how beautiful response to be people of the book. A number of years ago, I read a book, and it's just a small paperback. The title of the book is The Wonder of the Word of God by Robert Sumner. And there was a compelling story that has always inspired me. And this was decades ago when this book was written. Just a pamphlet. And he tells a story about a gentleman who was severely injured in an explosion. And the explosion was bad. He lost his eyesight. He lost use of his hands. He was disfigured from the explosion. The irony is he was a brand new Christian. And one of the things that broke his heart back then was that he couldn't read the word of God on his own. But then he heard of a gal in England across the ocean who read the Bible with her lips using a Braille Bible when the Braille Bible came out. And so he wrote to her, and he acquired a copy of a Braille Bible. And he was so excited to read the Bible with his lips, maybe. And so the Bible came in, and he put the raised characters to his lips, And unfortunately, because of the explosion, the nerve damage didn't allow him to feel the raised characters. And so he persevered week after week. And then one day as he put the Braille Bible to his lips, his tongue touched the raised characters. And he had an aha moment. He says, maybe I can read the Bible in Braille with my tongue. Decades ago, when Robert Sumner wrote this book, that gentleman read the Bible from cover to cover four times with his tongue. Isn't that remarkable? That, I would suggest, is the person who values and loves the word of God. And so this morning, hopefully a story like that, but the word of God, Acts 17, will inspire us all the more. 
So if you have your Connect card, as Pastor Jason said, we always encourage that, taking notes. Hopefully there's some good truths to inspire all of us, including me, to be people of the book. So let's start out with a blessing. People of the book are passionate for God's word. I chose to keep it very simple this morning. We have the book, the word of God. We have so many translations, so many study Bibles, so many opportunities to engage the word. But are we passionate? Do we have our Bibles open right now? Are we interested in experiencing God through his word, hearing him speak? Or do we come to worship laissez-faire sometimes? And folks, I'm just not trying to pick on anyone. I'm speaking myself. I want to come with a heart for the word of God, to be open to his truth. And so I hope you have your Bibles open to Acts 17. And let's take a look at three passions. Passion number one, people of the book relentlessly share God's word. Folks, this is such a beautiful concept. We're going to see Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, this team of missionaries passionately sharing God's word. So let's look at Acts 17, 1. And basically today, the format is just to walk through verse by verse. So Acts 17, 1 says this. They, meaning the missionary team, remember if you were here last week, we were in Philippi. Uh, God's spirit directed them in a very unique way to take the gospel to Europe. And so Philippi was reached, the church was begun uh, in the home of Lydia, and, and great things happened, but of course persecution, they got thrown into prison and so forth. And so now they move on to a place called Thessalonica. So let's take a look. Then they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now I want to show you a map, and I know it's a little bit of a busy map, but I want you to focus more here on the top uh, left corner. Your left, right? Yeah, that's right. So we were in Macedonia. We came here from Turkey to Philippi. Now we're dropping down into Greece. And next week, Pastor Jason's going to be preaching on Athens. So think in terms of the gospel keeps expanding, okay? But we're going to a world-class city called Thessalonica. Now, what's real interesting, look at verse 1 again. What's the first stop? A Jewish synagogue. And so as I read verse 1, I had two questions. Why would Paul and team deliberately skip two cities and then go to Thessalonica? And why would their first stop be a synagogue? Well, I think those are two questions worth answering. Number one, because Paul and team were very strategic. You know, all our days are numbered, right? We're here one minute, gone the next. We have a short life. The question is, how will we invest it? I think Paul was strategic. He was calculated. So two strategies I see from verse one. Strategy number one, to reach world-class cities. That was absolutely Paul's uh, ambition and initiative, as we'll see from Romans. But what was so important about Thessalonica? Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia. And next to Corinth, it was the major trade city of the ancient world. People were coming there from east, from west, from north, from south. There was a lot of people. It was a cosmopolitan city. And so Paul strategically goes where people are, where ethnicity is, where there's trade and travel, where people could hear the gospel, come to faith in Christ, and go back to their community. 
I think a good example of this missionary model is found in New York City. And by the way, this is a missionary model that's really being championed today. The majority of people, and folks, there's 7.6 billion people on planet Earth. The majority of people live in world-class cities. Reach the cities, you reach the world. So if you're familiar with Timothy Keller, New York City, Redeemer Church, let me tell you a cool story about Keller. In 1990, he realized the world was coming to the Big Apple. They're reaching all kinds of people from all across the globe. They had an aha moment. Let's train them, equip them to be pastors, go back and plant churches from where they come from. Fast forward a little over three decades, what has happened? Folks, 8,000 churches, is that right? 800 churches have been planted with 64,000 plus leaders equipped for the gospel. That's one church in the Big Apple. Can you imagine if that model was replicated church after church after church all across the globe? 2.2 million churches evangelical today in the world. What a beautiful model. That's Paul's model. Go to Thessalonica, world-class city, the gospels preach, and boom. The gospel spreads. Strategy number two, I think, is really beautiful. Why does he go to the synagogue? And you'll see this every time. There's at least eight illustrations, if not more, in Acts. You go to biblically literate people first. Why? They have a foundation in scripture. You're going to Jewish people. Remember last week, Lydia? A God-fearer. She left polytheism. She left paganism to become what? A person of the book. And so she's worshiping Yahweh. She's understanding the Old Testament scriptures. Paul and team goes into the synagogue. He meets Jews. He meets God-fears. He meets people who are thinking more in terms of God of the Bible, preaches Christ. They come to faith in Christ. And the work begins in Thessalonica. Folks, it's a remarkable thing. But here's the encouragement for each and every one of us. Paul was strategic. He knew his audience, and he definitely understood uh, how to minister to Jews, how to minister to God-fears, point them to the Old Testament scriptures, prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah. They come to faith in Christ, and the church gets launched. And so the encouragement for all of us is finding common ground with people. Where are these spiritually? How did they think? How did they grow up? Did they grow up hurt? Did they grow up unaware? Did they grow up in a church, an institutional church? Did they go to a Christian school, college? Get their backstory and then bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, look what happens. Verses 2 and 3. As usual, Paul went to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them, where? From the scriptures. And there's five verbs here that are pretty remarkable. If you're marking down, if you mark your Bible, these, these verbs are quite, quite unique. He reasoned with them from the scripture, that's one, explaining and showing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. And so you think about the effort. Paul was passionate He's thinking through how they thought. He's opening up the Old Testament scriptures. Where would he go? Psalm 22, Isaiah 52, and Isaiah 53, the Messianic. He would go to Malachi uh, chapter 5. I mean, he would be preaching the Old Testament to these folks who knew the Old Testament, proving Jesus was the Messiah. Now look at verse 4. This is encouraging. 
that some of them were persuaded, and that is a key word in the book of Acts. Paul is someone who wants to persuade people's thinking. As a person thinks, so they'll live. Think right about the gospel. Think right about Old Testament scriptures. Think right about Jesus. They were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas. And check this out. Including a great number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of who? Leading women. Paul, once again, is very intentional to show the unity and diversity in the body of Christ. Why does he highlight leading women? Because women were responding to the gospel. They were God-fearers. Again, they pushed aside paganism and polytheism, the world that brings death to embrace Yahweh. Now they're embracing the gospel and becoming influencers in the ancient world. This passage could be summed up with what Paul wrote in Romans 15. He had an ultimate goal, and I hope it's a goal that you and I'll share. Paul says this, My aim is to evangelize where Christ has not been named, so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, you know what he's quoting? He's quoting Isaiah 52. As Isaiah the prophet, 700 years previously uh, wrote, those who were not told about him will see, their eyes will be open. And those who have not heard will understand. The Messiah was foretold through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before he came. And Paul points to that scripture, God is opening ears. He's opening eyes. He's opening hearts that people receive the good news. And so how does that relate to us here at Westwind Church? I think it relates deeply in two ways. Number one, let me show you uh, from Vision Proper, one of the things we're really working on. Uh, If we could go to the next slide, please. You'll see around the church these uh, four uh, dreams for the next three to six months. One is to equip. So Westwind will equip its congregation to do what? Confidently share the gospel using the three circles tool and the book, Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations. Why do we do that? Think of the words that Luke used for Paul. He persuaded. He proclaimed. He declared. He was communicating clearly the gospel from the Old Testament so people's thinking would be right about Jesus. Folks, that takes effort. And we just don't wake up uh, any given day and, and, and ready to persuade people for the gospel. And so one of the tools we're using right now is the three circles. The Krug's Life Group uh, is in the midst of that, right? You've done three sessions. And so Ellen and Tina talked uh, last night And uh, we were delighted to hear, although they're working through it and they're learning and there's some uh, pros and cons, one of the cool things is one of the gals in that life group says, I could see how I can use this tool to share the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. All it is is a tool, folks, to bridge the gap, to build relationships, to build conversations. And boy, when that happens, you feel confident to do that. One of my favorite stories recently is uh, from our neighborhood. Ellen and I have been building a relationship over the past year and a half with a really dear man. We've become friends. And so we've had the privilege to share our testimony, share the gospel. And in the past few months, as we connected, 
um, he said this to me, and it was pretty, uh, pretty unique statement. He says, Keith, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to fly alone. I thought, wow, that, that's a pretty cool idea. I want to go to heaven, yes! So do I, who wouldn't? But I don't want to fly alone. Where did that come from? And so where did I immediately start? We went to John 14, where Jesus said, in my Father's house, there's many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come back to take you to be with me also. You don't have to fly alone. You can fly with Jesus, and you can get your ticket today. Folks, that's the gospel. And it's turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations through relationships. That's Paul's model. I pray it would be ours. Now, secondly... We're not only talking about sharing God's word to not yet Christian people. How about to each other? How about when we just hang out at a coffee shop or walk along the way? Had a gentleman just yesterday say to me, he was traveling, encountered some uh, old friends, and it was so refreshing to be with those friends as they shared the word of God together. Do you have that kind of experience? I hope so, folks. But that's what we're called to be, people of the book, building each other up, edifying, encouraging. Yes, sometimes admonishing. Yes, there's a balance in the book. But this is a living book that we can bring life into people's faith journey. So let's keep sharing. So passion number one. Passion number two, people of the book endured hardship because of God's word. And again, one of the things that you absolutely see, it's just the normative pattern in the gospel as it went forward in the book of Acts, roughly 25 years. The gospel's preached, people come to faith in Christ, and immediately, immediately as God works, there's persecution. Let's take a look at the passage. Look at verses five through nine. But the Jews became jealous... And they brought together some scoundrels, nice word there, from the marketplace, formed a mob. Can you imagine being downtown at the farmer's market, you're preaching Jesus, some scoundrels form a mob, and you're in trouble, okay? And they started a riot in Thessalonica. And notice, poor Pastor Jason attacking Jason's house. They searched for them to bring them out of the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, and I love this next statement, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has received them as guests. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decree, that's the issue, saying that there is another king, and his name is, all hail King Jesus. That's why that song was sung this morning. The Jews stirred up the crowd and the city officials who heard these things. So taking a security bond from Jason and others, they released them. Friends, please know this. Biblically, this is just how it works. God works. We believe that. He shows up. He does a miraculous work. Guess what? Satan's always counterattacking. It is an absolute normative pattern. 
We said last week we are in spiritual warfare. That's the world in which we live. Yes, there is a real devil, Satan. Yes, there are demons who control young ladies ages 11 through 14 and use them for selfish gain. This is a dark world in which we live. Satan is not dead. But God's alive. And his gospel is advancing. But when it advances, persecution ultimately will come. So, what is the issue? Let me show you verse 7. And a lot of times it's, it's hard to read it because you don't see commentary, but this is the key issue. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's, Caesar's decree, saying there is another King Jesus. Do you know what Caesar's decree was back then? Folks, Caesar was deified. He was revered. He was worshipped. Caesar was God. And now you're coming into Caesar's world, the Roman Empire, declaring there's another king. His name is Jesus. And Christians now have a new allegiance, a new loyalty. And you can only imagine the controversy before Rome. When you study church history, you'll see the first 300 years before Constantine professed faith in Christ and changed things, Christians suffered dramatically for the gospel. Why? We do have another king, and his name is Jesus. Folks, all you have to do is look back to history, and it'll break your heart. Because in the Roman uh, Forum, in the Roman Colosseum, in Rome, they would dress Christians up in sheep's clothing and feed them to wild animals at the delight of the pagans. There's one bishop. They said simply, just deny Jesus and we'll let you go. He said no. They impaled him and they put logs underneath him in the Colosseum before tens of thousands of people and they lit the fire and they burned him at the stake. That might sound like an unusual thing that was normative. Why? They're worshiping King Jesus. And so the early church suffered deeply for their faith. And that should strengthen us to not be so weak-kneed when sometimes we, we tell our story, when we share the gospel, and people get a little bit offended. Back then it was different. You know what Nero did? He impaled Christians, and he put their bodies on the street corner, covered them with oil, and lit the evening night with their bodies. I'm not trying to gross you out. I'm trying to give you a picture of what these believers experience for the sake of the gospel. We saw last week Paul get flogged. I didn't unpack flogging. It's what happened to Jesus. You put metal and glass uh, on, on the end of leather straps, and you literally rip the flesh off of people. Can you imagine? I'm preaching, sharing the good news, and you're thrown in prison, the inner cell, and your back's just, just ravaged. And there's no cleaning, no antiseptic, all that kind of stuff. So they suffered deeply. Now, you're probably saying, okay, how does that relate to us here in Iowa? It's really hard to relate, isn't it? But here's what I know after almost 40 years as a pastor in the American church. Most of our persecution doesn't come from without. Most of our persecution comes from within. Do you know what I mean by that? Acts 20 talks about beware. There's going to be folks from without, but there's also going to be folks from within. 
sometimes wolf-like folks, people who teach false doctrines. That's a big issue in the early church. And so sometimes the worst enemy of the church is itself. I've watched the past two years with COVID, and folks, I would contend this, COVID has not been a friend for the church. I've seen more hurt in people in our sphere of influence in the past two years than I have in decades of ministry. We sat with a couple a number of months ago in Cincinnati, Ohio. They came out of our youth ministry. They planted a church. They gave their life for over two decades to a church in Cincinnati, Ohio, to families, to kids, to just serving the Lord. And because of the mess, because of the junk, because of the division, the church literally closed its doors. And I sat across the table from my dear friend and pastor, and he said this, Keith, I don't miss it. That hurts. That's persecution. Now, I'm not faulting anyone. I'm just telling you it's real, but it's different. We had another friend recently Facebook me. He said, Pastor Keith, would you be a reference for me? He's a lead pastor. He used to be the associate, became the lead, and things, again, during COVID just kind of unraveled. He says, we're done. We got to go. And so they're looking to move on. Just recently, another dear friend from Chicago is taking a sabbatical. And the email came through for prayer because the marriage and kids are struggling. It's war. This is a battle. And I want to encourage you, please turn in your Bibles right now to 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to show you something. I want to show you where the battle takes place in the church. 1 Peter 5 is, is primarily written to elders, okay? To, to, to build the elders up, to shepherd the flock of God. And then there's this passage there. Be sober of spirit. Be on the alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion to do what? One thing. Devour. If you were with us last week, we said the thief, Satan, demons come to kill, steal, and destroy the work of God. And so, folks, how do we respond if we know there's a real enemy roaring, trying to devour? Paul gives the answer to the Ephesian church. It's chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Are you familiar? He says, every day, put on the full armor of God. Three times, he says, we have to put on the full armor of God. Why? So we can stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand firm. How? With the helmet of salvation, knowing that you're truly saved, eternal security. Stand firm with the shield of faith. When the fiery darts of the devil come, you extinguish them. Stand firm with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, holding fast to the truth. Jesus uses the word of God when he's tempted in Matthew 4 in the, the wilderness. He quotes Deuteronomy three times. Put the belt of truth or truthfulness around your weight. Gird yourself up. Wear the sandals, which are the gospel of peace. Folks, we need God's armor as we fight this battle to move forward. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. Again, sometimes you look at passages like this, riots and mobs and scourgings and thrown into the inner cell. It's just so far removed from what we experience. But I know this in the body of Christ. 
there is a true war being waged. And will we suit up? Will we have the armor of God on? Will we be protected as we go into the day? Can I encourage you with an application? Sometimes just take Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Pray through that passage. Pray through it. Just one piece of armor at a time. Lord, I have your word. Help me to be like Jesus and use it to overcome the works of the devil and the enemy in my life. Pray through Ephesians. And I trust you'll be blessed. One final passion, passion number three. People of the book embrace and examine God's word. Look at verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. So again, we spent a few weeks in Philippi, boom, you head to Thessalonica. We spent at least three, maybe four weeks in Thessalonica. Now we're getting kicked out and heading to Berea. On arrival, where did they go? Once again, to biblically literate people, they went into a synagogue. Friends, let me show you something too. This is a really fun thing. This picture here is in Berea today. It's a modern day synagogue, but they believe the foundation of the synagogue goes back 2,300 years ago. This could very well be the synagogue that Paul and team came to to preach Christ. Kind of cool. Now, verses 11 through 15. What does it say about the Bereans? And this should inspire us. The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica since they welcomed the message with eagerness Examine the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Consequently, many of them believed, noticed, including a number of prominent Greek women as well as men. Way to go. Just highlighting the unity and diversity in the body of Christ. But when the Jews noticed from Thessalonica, and this is about 25 miles up north, found out that God's message had been proclaimed by Paul of Berea, what happened? <laughs> they came there too agitating and disturbing the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul away to go to the sea, but Silas and Timothy stayed on there. Those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving instruction from Silas and Timothy to come to him as quickly as possible, they departed. Isn't it remarkable? Every time the gospel is preached, there's persecution, and the missionary team keeps moving forward. Maybe it's part of God's strategy. He allows persecution so you don't get stuck at Philippi, you don't get stuck at Thessalonica, you don't get stuck at Berea. The gospel just worked its way all the way down to Athens. I want to highlight a pamphlet. It's on our tables this morning because you'll see this phrase, examining the scriptures. Please think only in terms of the Old Testament. The New Testament has not yet been written. When they're examining the scriptures to see if the preaching was true, they're examining the Old Testament scriptures. We have a booklet for you today. It's free. Just grab it. A hundred prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Jesus Christ. Life groups, you want to have a phenomenal Bible study? There it is. You want to have a devotional time? Look at how the Old Testament foreshadows the reality of the coming Messiah. Those are the scriptures they're examining right now. But I want to close this morning by encouraging you with four attributes of the Berean. Remember, attributes of Paul preaching, attributes of the Bereans receiving. Let's close with this. Attribute number one, humbly welcoming the word. Look at verse 11. 
The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. Why do I say humbly? The word for open-minded literally means teachable. They weren't prideful. They weren't hard-hearted. They were ready and willing to learn. They believed the Bible was a living book, and so they were open to the teaching. James 1, the brother of Jesus, verse 21 says, Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. This group's already saved that James is writing to. What he's saying is, as a Christian, as a follower, as a believer, keep humbly receiving the word. Stay teachable. Open your ears. Open your heart to God's word. And it will save you. Save you from what? The mess of this world. Save you when persecutions and attacks come. Save you from, you know, the flesh, the world, the devil. This word will save you. It's living and active. Secondly, eagerly welcome the word. Look at verse 11 again. The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica since they welcomed the message, how? Eagerly. What a beautiful statement for this people. I had a gal the other day, we were at Life Group, and she says, what's the deal about Berean Church? Why would someone choose a name Berean Church, Berean Baptist Church? There's a mega church in Minnesota, Berean Baptist Church. Why would somebody choose a name? I think it's a great name. Because the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians met on the Sabbath for three weeks. These guys are eagerly meeting daily and receiving what a great name for a church to be like the Bereans, to receive the word like this, humbly, eagerly. Attribute number three, daily welcoming the word. Look again at verse 11. They welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures how? Daily. Folks, that's in contrast to the Thessalonians. They looked at the scriptures on the Sabbath. These guys are looking at the word of God daily. They had a heart for God's word, and it's quite remarkable. And then finally, attribute number four, discerningly welcome the word. And why do I say that? The phrase, they examine the scripture. The Greek word there is anakrino. It's a compound word, which literally means that they did a deep dive. They were studying the word. They were examining the word. They were spending time in prayer, searching the scriptures. Friends, this is 2 Timothy 2, 15. It says this, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker that doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Those are some beautiful attributes. And I would suggest this morning, thinking about Paul and team, wow, they go out sharing, persuading, teaching, proclaiming, and people's lives were changed. That's how we give the word. But then how do we receive the word? Let's become like Bereans. Let's be humble and teachable. Let's be eager and daily. Let's examine the scriptures and let God work to grow us in his grace and knowledge. And so, going back to Robert L. Sumner, here's a gentleman who longed for God so much, loved God's word so much as a new believer, takes a Braille Bible, 
uses his tongue. And at the time Robert L. Sumner wrote his book, he had read through the whole Bible four times. Friends, I don't share that story to shame anybody. I share that story to inspire us. Let's be people of the book. Pastor Jason's going to come after we sing and close out and share with you some resources, some really excellent resources that we put together for you. We have a resource table to my right and out in the foyer. What's really cool about these resources, we have uh, stuff for adults, study Bibles for teens and kids. Chelsea worked with us. We have reading plans, chronological plans, just so cool. Uh, Jason's also going to highlight some of the websites that we have. So let's stand. Uh, Let's close in song and then hopefully open our hearts to God, his word, and uh, take next steps in our faith journey.